0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero-knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. This week, Tarun and I chat with Vasily Shapovalov, co-founder and tech lead of Lido, and Felix Luch, CCO of Chorus One. We talk all about staking derivatives or liquid staking. We look at how liquid staking developed as an idea and how it works on staked ETH in the ETH2 model, as well as on live POS networks. But before we start in, I want to recommend you head over to Gitcoin as we are in the midst of a grant CLR matching round. Not only do you have the Zero Knowledge Podcast grant up, and a big thank you to everyone who has donated in this round so far and in previous rounds, We also have a ZK Hack grant up. And this time around, we have an entire matching pool dedicated to funding ZK tech and tools. This is supported by the ZK Validator and a number of other great ZK-focused projects. So check out the projects building the future of ZK, head over to Gitcoin, and donate today. I also want to thank this week's sponsor, Least Authority. Least Authority is committed to building and supporting the development of technology to preserve your privacy and keep your data secure. They do this by reviewing third-party software for securing vulnerabilities and by building their own secure software with specific focus on increasing the security of the data and the systems. Lease Authority currently has several job opportunities, including a tech lead to build a service around the zero-knowledge access passes, or Zcaps, a cryptographic authorization protocol, join them to create a new privacy-preserving service that enables the value of Zcaps beyond their initial implementation. While cryptographers are welcome to apply, even some familiarity with how to utilize cryptography is enough. Visit leastauthority.com to get more details about the job listing, read their findings on projects such as Tezos and Mina, and learn about their work on zero-knowledge proofs and ZK Snarks. So thank you again, Least Authority. Now here's our episode about liquid staking. So today, Tarun and I are here with Vasily Shapovalov, who's the co-founder and tech lead at Lido, as well as Felix Luch, who is CCO at Chorus One, a project that is leading Lido for Solana and is kind of an important partner to the Lido project. Welcome both of you to the show.
1: Hey, thanks. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here.
0: So you're coming both from two different organizations. Today, what we're going to be talking about is liquid staking of ETH primarily, but I was hoping to actually use this to talk about liquid staking as a like a larger topic. Um, let's first start off by hearing a little bit about you, Vasily, and yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you founded Lido.
2: So before I started working on Lido, I worked in P two P. I uh, continue to work in P two P validator, pretty big uh, staking providers. Uh, provider that I came to in February 2020 as a CTO and uh, before that I uh, used to make an unsuccessful startup on in Cosmos ecosystem. Okay. Yeah it was about NFTs before our time.
0: <laughs> a little bit early maybe uh, yeah, for
2: NFTs. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the problem was there were no NFTs on Cosmos so
0: <laughs> I guess yeah. yeah was it yeah, was it yeah, on yeah. Ethermint?
2: Uh no just plain like we were doing a, a marketplace for NFTs but there were no NFTs on Cosmos so it, yeah. it didn't Oh, there weren't work.
0: enough. Oh, okay, okay. It didn't yeah. have anything to do with the Clover's NFT project, did it?
2: No, no. Like the close relationship uh, with that is that like we we know each other with Billy. So yeah. uh, that's it. Okay. Before that, I was uh, an engineer and engineering manager in informational security.
0: Nice. But so the job, though, right before Lido was working at P2P, like another kind of large validator company, org. So you're coming, I guess, more from the validator perspective when you decided to jump into Lido. So maybe tell us what Lido is and maybe how that potentially relates.
2: Yeah, Lido is a decentralized organization that builds liquid-staking protocols. It started with a liquid-staking protocol for Ethereum. Uh, It now has Ethereum, Terra, and Solana and uh, has teams working on uh, liquid-staking for Polygon and uh, Polkadot. And maybe a few others in, in in the works. It hasn't started yet. So it's a DAO, the centralized organization, uh, because the topic of uh, liquid staking is very touchy. It's like basically working in the heart of blockchain security. And uh, it has to have a, a clear governance process that is not uh, like unilateral and should be very mindful of the ecosystems it's working in and the like the larger world and the blockchain ecosystem uh, in its entirety. So that's why we, we, we've chosen to start the DAO.
0: Got it. But given that you were coming as a validator originally, like, did the idea come because you were working in the validator space and saw this need? There's a link there. I mean, also Felix, yes, like, yes. of course, one is a validator company. So I feel like there's this strong connection between the validator community and liquid staking. What is that?
2: for for me uh, the start of LIda was like pretty clear. I came to work in p2 p in February 2020 like 20th February or something like that, and in the middle of March, I did a paper on like the first draft of LIDA. okay because like the first thing I did on the job was like to take stock of the uh, of people who are working it and uh, in, in p2 p and uh, the setup and infra and stuff like that and the second thing I like written down the most important thing to happen in 2020. And the top one was launch of uh, proof of stake on Ethereum, which was pretty clear that in proof of stake it would be like the the most important thing to happen in 2020. And uh, the proof of stake of it, uh, on Ethereum is is not great for not operator for professional not operators. Mm. It doesn't have delegation baked in. Yeah. So it it's basically either you uh, stake yourself, or you have like a legal agreement with uh, with not operator. Or you you do a custodial staking like on changes and stuff like that, and uh, uh, with no native protocol delegation, it meant that like some people will stake by themselves, uh, and some funds and uh, not operators who are close to funds like there is a handful of them uh, will get like a lot of stake, uh, but most. People who are not pros will go to custodial protocols like uh, exchanges and stuff like that.
0: Uh, yeah. There
2: was a Rocket Pool protocol in the work just launched uh, a, few, a few weeks ago. Or so, and it also didn't work quite well for not operators because it required a significant uh, self-stake, like significant bond, and it was just like not really capital efficient for a professional operator. So, uh, people who have a lot of capital really have a lot of uh, technical knowledge, and vice versa. So like we thought and we told ourselves that we have to design a different protocol.
0: Got it. And that actually makes sense. It's like liquid staking, but because of the Ethereum setup, the fact that there's a lot of small stakers, 32 ETH is what you need to be a stake to be a validator on Ethereum, but you can't really like add more into that, can you? Like into the individual staked portion. Like if you're running a node and you're a staker, that's how much you're going to put, am I
1: right? You can start a second node, basically exactly. again thirty-two. Yeah.
0: So in in that case, it's almost like the the problem you're trying to solve here is because of the limitations of the Ethereum setup for validation, you needed a pooling system, and yet liquid staking to me is like a larger topic. But let's actually pause that because Felix, first I want to hear a little bit from you. Um, tell me a little bit. So you're from a different organization, Course One. Quick disclosure the zero knowledge validator actually works with course one on a few of the networks that we validate on. So I know you more from that context. Um, but do tell us a little bit about your perspective as a validator and what Lido kind of is for a validator and wh- how you're thinking about it.
1: Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. I think as a validator node operator in a space, you originally. Have like a few parties that you can receive delegation from, like let's say in the Cosmos ecosystem where this delegated proof of stake exists, or in Tezos. And um, traditionally, these are the VC funds, or maybe like people individually holding their tokens, uh, or you do partnerships with, let's say, a custodian or something. Lido, I think, is a very different concept where essentially now you're getting the delegation from this on chain protocol. And um, that may have like completely different ways why they delegate to you or, and it's also like, yeah, decentralized organization. So it is actually a kind of community of different also node operators, but also like DeFi uh, participants and a lot of other uh, players. So it's kind of interesting because now I guess it becomes a new avenue for, for receiving delegations or receiving stake that you can use to security networks.
0: Yeah, I was thinking it might help Like, I feel like the audience tends to know this difference of like proof of work, proof of stake, but maybe we can give a little bit of a brief on proof of stake networks, staking in general, what the point is, because I do think later on, there's some questions that liquid staking brings up that challenges that a bit. So let's start there on the concept of proof of stake and staking in general. What is the thinking around that? How does staking your funds actually secure the network?
2: The gist of uh, staking, which is not only used in the proof of uh, stake protocols uh, consensus protocols, but also in in a lot of financial applications in blockchain as well uh, and even non-financials and sometimes like ifP, is uh, that you put some value on the line and uh, optionally either just lock it or maybe like put it at risk, you perform some work and uh, you are getting rewarded for that work and for locking capital. And uh, if you misbehave, you can be slashed. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's also an optional part.
0: Basically, how the staking is incentivized is that you you have these rewards that come back to you. Um, Yes. You are locking your funds and... The more funds locked, that sort of becomes what they call like the security of the network, right? Like the amount, the value that's locked in is how much, if you wanted to try a 51% attack or whatever the proof of stake percentage attack you need, you would need a percentage of that whole total value in order to actually execute it.
2: Yes. You need to control that that amount of Yeah,
0: I want to mention this now because I feel like later on when we get into liquid staking, it does bring up some questions about that exact thing, that security of the network. But okay. Yeah. So but let's start with the ETH staking. I already sort of mentioned this, the 32 ETH. Maybe can you give me a bit of a sense, since I know that you're deep in this, like what is the breakdown of the Ethereum staking landscape right now? And I feel like it might be different from other networks where you might have larger whales who will stake all of their tokens from, like, say, one address or two addresses. Here, I guess it's very different. So, how is the landscape of validators in Ethereum looking today?
2: The gist of it is like, we we don't really know. Uh, the Ethereum doesn't have a delegation protocol yeah. so it doesn't have a registry of uh, participants so what things we only know for sure is uh, uh, like basically doxed actors like exchanges and Lido and uh, some node operators who use specialized contracts and uh, some of them like to break and uh, uh, about the amount of stake so that's one thing and the other is like about 50% of ethereum stake is just like addresses who stake okay and uh, for the 50% that is that is doxed like 17 and a half is Lido
0: okay uh, i wow. think about
2: 20 or, yeah
0: that's different uh, i saw your i actually saw your talk from eth uh what is it eth cc and it was like 10% yeah. then wasn't it yes whoa so it's we, grown we a, a lot fraud, yeah okay yeah. 17% to you guys wild.
2: Yeah, day-to-day we actually have about 30% of weather, of new weather stakes go, goes to Lido uh, like on a on month's uh, average, so it continues to grow. I think about 20-25% are exchanges. Mm-hmm. It used to be more. This number is, uh, uh, is getting lower. Uh, there are a few uh, big custodians and big uh, non-custodial staking providers like Stakefish is pretty big and Bitcoin's use and I don't know staked. Yeah, staked is pretty big as well. Yes, that's true. And the rest is like unknown to us. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty clear that some of some of it is Binance. There, are, uh, in in the like in the, this unknown region, there are a lot of whales. Like it's uh, you 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 can say uh, see that some some addresses stake a lot, right? And uh, some of them are Binance, some of them Coinbase, some of them are big whales who stake with some uh, not operator that we don't know. But it's okay. basically Not really known. And there is a lot of like single addresses that might or might not be single operators.
0: Got it. Quick question on on that is like, can a single address run multiple nodes? Like, is that what you're kind of seeing when you say that? The sort of Binance?
2: Mm, Single actor can own multiple addresses, a single address can fund multiple validators.
0: I see, but it's not like each operator, each node is an address of its own, right? Like it's not um, like
2: it's not like no validator oh, okay. is not an address. It's a public key. It it has uh, two two kinds of credential: a public a validation public key and withdrawal public key.
0: And one particular address can like have one of those keys from multiple nodes.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, withdrawals, uh, withdrawal credentials can be uh, you can have uh, multiple validators with the same withdrawal credentials. That's what Lido does.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize that that was something you could actually see then. That's cool. Do you know what's what's the total value locked already? Do they know that?
2: I think uh, it's about 8 or nine millions of ethers, so
1: Yeah, it's 36 billion dollars right now.
2: Yeah, 36 S- billion dollars. So yeah. it
1: is. I guess, yeah, 7% of the entire ETH supply. I think maybe it's also worth to say, right, that it's very low compared to other proof of stake networks, where usually the native token will be like, yeah, above 60 to 80% of the token staked. And of course, we expect uh, it to grow in Ethereum too uh, over time.
0: But I guess, I mean, what's happened now, a lot of what we're talking about is ETH that's been staked before there's a live network with a timeline that sometimes seem like it's getting pushed back a little bit so I mean these are in a way like some of the more hardcore users and believers because once you lock it you can't unlock it right like this is like it's locked until the future ethereum is launched
2: unless it's liquid
0: (laughs) unless it's liquid and that's where we can get into liquid staking okay so what is what does liquid staking mean I know the answer but I want you to tell me
2: (laughs) Uh Felix did a, a whole paper on this in chorus, so
1: <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> Thanks. Um so I think on the core it's like as as we said earlier, you put up some value, you lock it up, and you receive like rights to perform work in the network that's that's staking in a nutshell. Now liquid staking or sometimes uh called like staking derivatives, however you want to call it, is essentially taking these slog tokens and kind of issuing a tokenized representation of tokens that you put up uh, for securing the network. And then those tokenized, yeah, kind of like claim on, on the entire stake in, in the pool or whatever it is, can be used again in DeFi or, yeah, send around, uh, traded and um, basically allows the stake that has been previously locked up for securing the network to also maybe be used as collateral for other applications. So let's say you want to take out a loan against your stake tokens. That's basically what liquid staking allows in the decentralized finance ecosystem.
0: Mm. So when you talk about liquid staking and liquid staking tokens, they are actually like newly minted tokens that are put into the market. And they're sort of like IOUs to what's locked, I guess.
2: Sort of, yeah. Representation of what's locked, yeah.
0: Okay. And the thing is, like, in the Ethereum case, given the scenario of, like, it's locked, it's not super clear when they would be unlocked, I think this makes a lot of sense. But I want to ask if the if the idea of liquid staking actually comes from before the sort of ETH2 out and all that. Like, has this idea, and this is actually, Tarun, I kind of want to throw this a little bit to you, but do you know where the origin of the liquid staking idea actually comes from?
3: Um, I think the majority of it that <clears throat> the first time i'd ever heard of it you know of course one thing having been in finance for a while i mean financial concept is pretty obvious mm-hmm. um and crypto people love renaming everything so it's like <laughs> it's like calling a like securitized loan against a yield-bearing asset like liquid staking derivative is like a little bit weird because it's it's a little closer to just like more like securitized lending. But the first place I really had heard of it was from Sunny from Cosmos. And I feel like the Cosmos ecosystem, you know, if we compare all of the proof of stake chains, the Cosmos ecosystem is extremely good at coming up with all the ideas everyone else implements and gets more adoption on so far, other than osmosis.
0: Could that be because they were also one of the earliest big scale proof of stake to actually do it to go live and to like actually you know have something to experiment you with. could
3: you could argue tezos could have done oh, some true. of this stuff <laughs> timing wise right but they they did not okay um, fair, fair. and and the cosmos ecosystem their forum posts are are like the bitcoin talk of proof of stake in my mind wow um and there's probably still ideas there that like i haven't rummage through that could be implemented that haven't been implemented that are like kind of useful. But I think the main interesting thing was that the Cosmos validators seem to appreciate this point that they like, they themselves individually locked up way too much of their net worth into the network. Mm -hmm. And in a bear market, that was not ideal for them, Mm -hmm. which because they had other costs and stuff. So that was sort of it was a very pragmatic um, rationale for, for constructing it.
0: I do remember actually that time. I mean, I also, the first person who ever told me about this was Sunny in, and I remember it was at ZCon 1 in Croatia, 2019. I think it was around June. And I had never, it, like, it was like, when he said it, I was like, whoa. Do you know kind of which group or which part of the ecosystem, the Cosmos ecosystem really kicked that off?
3: So Sonny has probably the main technical post, I think from 2018, Mm-hmm. maybe maybe early 2019 that that gives a spec and it gives sort of like the interfaces for what it would look like i suspect if we asked him he would say that it was like verbally him and zaki at some conference talked about it and then like it eventually got to that spec so it probably was invented a lot earlier but you know through the oral tradition instead of through <laughs> the written tradition yeah. Um, Any time I'd asked Arthur from Tezos about it, he was just like, "staking derivatives, terrible, going to be like going to ruin our security of our network, right?" And so it was interesting that in Cosmos, partially I think because of the sovereign chain aspect of things, where people maybe wanted to borrow from like one chain that they were validating on to like validate another chain, mm. they were more open to it. Whereas in Tezos, it seemed to be like almost a persona non grata type of idea. I described the tattoo like to the general approach. People in Cosmos
2: ecosystem are very pragmatic, basically. Uh, it's uh, pretty clear that delegation beats up like non-delegated staking and liquid staking beats up delegation as a product. It's much better. Mm-hmm. It means that it will get adopted. And it was pretty clear like the term liquid staking might have been invented in uh, in cosmos and might have been mentioned in bitcoin talk maybe i don't know uh, but where it was first implemented i think was exchanges like uh, there was a number of proof of stake coins uh, that were folks of bitcoin and they were on exchanges and staked on exchanges and people were getting staking rewards on exchanges and that's liquid staking just custodial like not not protocol type custodial type yeah so uh it was pretty clear back then that liquid staking exists it's uh uh user, users love it and there is nothing can be done to stop it from from happening eventually and you can get a good flavor of liquid staking or you can get like a change flavor of liquid staking and that's your choice and not like it's going through in all your security just like a prediction right it's not <laughs> it's not a warning
0: <laughs> mm. I mean I think the thing is this definitely and this is one of the points I wanted to mention here is this danger of liquid staking and Tarun wrote a paper that I've cited a gazillion times on the show was was it one of the first reports that you were making publicly Tarun this like you had talked about like this liquid staking or staking derivatives as being very dangerous to the underlying security of a proof of stake network?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was just more a thing of capturing the trade off of what happens when you have a staking derivatives. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you think about what proof of stake as the main protocol that's providing your reward, um, sort of in some sense, naturally needs to be providing validators the highest risk adjusted reward that they could possibly get. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason for that is that you want validators to be sticky. Uh, you want them to kind of not leave the network and stay in the network, because if there's this huge fluctuation in the asset staked, then the cost of attack gets really cheap, right? 33% of X for like a Byzantine fault-tolerant algorithm, 33% of X still depends on how big X is. And if X fluctuates wildly and gets really small, then it's like easy to take over. Totally. Uh, And and if we assume validators are rational, which I think, uh, you know, since that paper came out, I think DeFi has been a place where stakers are more rational than in proof of stake, partially Mm -hmm. because people it's just like, you know, I think it's just harder to to kind of reallocate as fast. Uh, But yeah, I think the idea is that, hey, look, if you're borrowing against your stake, you're sort of synthetically getting, you sort of care less about your full stake that's validating, because you're sort of, Taking, taking this loan against it, and you might just be fine defaulting. Um, but one thing that was interesting, the, there's kind of this trade-off, like staking mm-hmm. dirties do lower the security, but they're also good at giving smaller validators access to similar returns to, as, and, and similar risk-adjusted returns as larger validators. Because larger validators sort of have lower risk-adjusted returns, right? Because they, they basically have less volatility. They're getting more blocks on average, Okay. Right, their volatility and realized rewards is lower, right? The smaller your stake, you know, maybe your expe- expectation is to get 1% yield, but on if if I look on a weekly basis, I might have gotten 0.5%, then 1.2%, then 0.6% dot dot dot. Like what's mm-hmm. I'm making up in the number to make it simple. Right? But if you're you're like 50% of the network, you're pretty much getting like very close to the the mean every time right so your your volatility kind of in returns um, goes down the higher size you have, but with staking derivatives, you can actually sort of you know you can kind of get the best of both worlds for small validators and so that's that the the paper kind of shows that's the trade off like you're reducing a security but you're also making it a little bit more fair
0: hmm but wouldn't big validators or validators with a lot of delegation a lot of stake wouldn't they also be able to play the same defi games or the same like off main validation games with their liquid tokens
3: if there are tons of like alternative yield options for their liquid staking tokens perhaps yeah okay that's that's possible but i i think actually the ultimate example of someone who is really playing in this design space more aggressively than anyone else and and I'm excited to see Vasily and Felix's face when I say the name, Uh (laughs) is is Ohm. Because Ohm, you could view Ohm in a lot of ways as having a lot of similar properties to staking derivatives, except they're also doing this, like, they have this concept of protocol-owned liquidity, which is actually exactly the same as the thing from that paper, uh, which says that, you know, if you have a proof-of-stake protocol, and the primary market for the AMM is owned by the protocol. So like the, the protocol provides the most liquidity to like a pool or, or sort of it's part of consensus that like, you know, the biggest pool to trade ETH for staked ETH is owned by the, the layer one protocol. Then you actually can make things more safe. Uh, and, and Ohm weirdly did this by their crazy Ponzi game, but, but they, they have a lot of similarities to staking derivatives. It's actually quite, quite interesting.
0: Vasily, mm-hmm. what do you make of that? I don't know if you wanted to respond.
2: Um, not to the own stuff. <laughs> what what I wanted to to say here is uh, there is uh, if not for theoretical but for practical aspects of uh, uh, validator's revenue, is that liquid staking protocols can can be much better at distributing stake to node operators. And can uh then then individual stakers. Because when people delegate, they tend to choose like the best not operator that can. And that is inherently centralizing. Like there isn't like a number of operators who are perceived as the best, like three, four, five, I don't know. And they get like their stake tends to get snow uh, snowballed. And then then the exchanges come and like the top thirty or forty percent of stake is like ten lines or something like that. Uh, people don't prioritize decentralization staking uh because that's not their interest they want the best operator not like the most decentralized set usually individually mm. they want the decentralized set as a as a common good but don't have incentive to uh, to contribute to it generally or if they do it's very weak and get disregarded usually uh so that's one part of it like st- liquid staking protocols can have a better Set of not operators, then a bunch of individual stakers uh, to the same amount of stake, and uh, it's cheaper for not operators to get stake from liquid staking uh, protocol than to get it from delegators because you don't need marketing, you don't need PR, you need like to be included in the white white list and behave good from the like point of view of the protocol, and that's usually cheaper than uh, popularity contests.
1: Hmm.
0: But why? I don't understand why it would help with distribution. Why having liquid staking? Would you not have to care about how much stake you actually have locked as a validator? Like, don't you still want a lot of delegations and a lot of like your validator to be somewhat like well-funded? Or do you like why would you not care?
2: We obviously do care. It's just like uh, if you if you're looking at liquid staking as a as a node operator. It's a very different kind of client. Like, it's a client with a lot of funds that it can uh, can delegate to you. But the process of getting these funds is not like the usual. Uh-huh. You don't have to to go to a dinner with a uh, like a crypto fund <laughs> uh, manager partner or something like that, right? Uh, you don't have to to run Twitter ads. You have to go through the whatever white lists process there. Protocol requires, and in, st- in case of LIDO, that's like getting white listed on uh, on peer review. Basically, in care, at at the, at the current moment, it's not like the end state we want to have in LIDO. In case of Rocket Pool, that's uh, like locking sub, uh, up some capital, and it can be uh, easier and cheaper for for a small operator to get decent stake through
3: hmm.
2: the, for, for uh, through liquid staking protocol than uh, the other way. But it's harder to to get more stake through liquid staking protocol on the other hand.
0: Yeah, so that that's sort of the question. Are you talking about sort of a like a pooling type like not the validator yeah. itself, but the person who's offering the liquid staking? I'm just trying to exactly understand. And actually Felix, given that you're a validator, I don't know if you want to weigh in here on on this part of it, that interaction. Like I, I actually wanted to ask you this, but like, what is the role of the validator in this liquid staking model? And maybe you can explore like what those different roles actually are.
1: Yeah, I think I mean it goes back to like basically liquid staking as this big client, like uh, Vasily said, right, like an aggregator that first gets a lot of stake pooled on their solution, and then they distribute it across a bunch of node operators in some different manner, and. That can all be done programmatically, potentially even, right? You could even just look at performance of the node. You can do it like governance-based. You can say, look, the LIDO token, LIDO DAO token will decide who gets into the set or you have a committee deciding that, which is currently what LIDO does, but it's also going to move away from that in the long run. But in general, you have a more, I guess, flexible way to distribute stake and, and can diversify more compared to like a single staker that probably will just do like one delegation transaction instead of doing 10 or like really evaluating the validators. And I think also it's better than an exchange, which might have like, you know, it's like a corporation it it wants to go to dinner again with the managing partner. <laughs> it wants to sign some contracts. So it will have like, you know, three, four partners max, or maybe just one that mm-hmm. they, or maybe even have it in-house and, and just have like, you know, this one validator partner instead of like liquid staking where you can really, you don't have a limit like that, right? You could have like supported 200 node operators.
0: Lots of smaller. I think I understand actually now what you meant about why this is helpful to smaller validators, which is it's this idea that there's this pooling entity that then distributes it out to all sorts of nodes based on their performance, not based on these relationships. And that's why if there's a good performing node that doesn't have relationships, it would potentially get the, like a good share of this pooled stake. Although I guess this, this doesn't really, like, going back to the Ethereum example, it's not really the case in Ethereum, is it? Because in Ethereum, aren't you still just running these individual 32 ETH only nodes? Like, there, are you, are you looking for performance of these nodes, really?
3: One thing that was interesting, at least providing some historical color on this, and I basically remember being at the ETH Research Conference in February 2020, after the Stanford blockchain conference and we're talking about this cause I, I was present presenting this, that paper and that everyone at the EF or everyone who's doing ETH research was like, Oh, we're putting in this 32 ETH thing because like it will guarantee a lot more fairness. <laughs> and I think I, I tried to convince people that like, Hey, look, people will make a derivative and it won't matter. And they'll pull together these things. But like for some reason there was this like inherent belief that somehow putting in a hard cap would like just dissuade the market enough and like have you know help individual validators, which has not really I don't know. It, at least from my perspective, that hasn't really seemed to be true. I don't know what you guys think about that.
2: Like their hypothesis, I, I'm having about the good staking uh, or about staking in Ethereum. That like why why it was just like. Ended up designed like like ended up designed is uh, that it was like heavily optimized to having a honest minority, mm. which kind of like makes sense when you uh, remove delegation from the protocol and uh, makes it fairly easy to get into validator set. Like, 32 ETH is no joke, it's, uh, it's a lot of money, but it's like much less than you need to have stake. Uh, to get into validator set of like Cosmos, for example, or Solana, or something like it's less stake than you need to to be in the validator set of uh, of the protocol. It means that like people who unnaturally uh, want to run a node, like Ethereum aficionados and enthusiasts and stuff like that, they get an option, and we have more individual, honest minority stakers than uh, would have got like the other way. For all other kinds of stake centralization, it's much worse. Like it's it's very clear that like the design of Ethereum staking like this, with uh, along with the launch and uh, the locking up liquidity and stuff like that, it's just like a, a way to to give exchanges head start, basically.
1: I I totally agree with this. I think in general, even like normal delegation, kind of the way it's implemented in Cosmos, where you have the twenty one day lockup period is also giving like benefits to exchanges where you can still have the token on the exchange and trade it there, and it might be staked at the same time. So, yeah, liquid staking basically just levels the playing field a little bit between non-custodial solutions and and custodial solutions, which is why it's so important.
0: Um, I want to understand a little bit which liquid staking ecosystem is the most developed so far. Like, even if there was... And I think actually there are there is liquid atoms there's I've seen sort of liquid almost everything as ERC20s but which network which staking network would you say is the most developed in terms of liquid staking do we have an example of and maybe it's ethereum to be honest maybe it's lido's ethereum staking but I'm just curious like do we have any data on like what this does and how people actually behave once there's this liquid token
2: in terms of adoption, it's definitely LIDA plus, plus Ethereum. Okay. It's it's the biggest liquid staking token, like by by value. Mm-hmm. On one hand, on the other hand, it's much much better integrated. Uh, like there are a lot of DeFi like a number of DeFi protocols that allow stake collateral as a trading uh, pair and stuff like that. And there is some, uh, like it's not very big, but some substantial trading against uh, stake teeth and vice versa. And uh, people are using it, MakeDao and stuff like that. I think that Terra's Beluna is pretty, pretty cool. Second, and Solana is probably the third uh, on, in terms of adoption. But maybe it's like vice versa because on Terra there is like just more value and uh, uh, more holders probably. And uh, uh, didn't check and uh, like more history.
3: But on Solana there are much more, pr- like uh, a lot of protocols that allow liquid staking coins. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing is in Terra's case, it seems to be really focused on increasing UST adoption more than it is about like borrowing against Luna and using it in DeFi. I mean, there there are p- things you can use Anchor for, but like not that many. In Ethereum, it's it had there's the most integration, so you could like use Stake ETH in a bunch of different DeFi protocols, um, which I think is is unique in the sense that. I don't think the other staking derivatives on other chains have really... I mean, obviously, in Cosmos, the only one that has anything that you could earn yield on is Osmo. But in Solana, the interesting thing is it's a weirdly competitive market, which we haven't seen, per se. I guess Cosmos has two now, right? There's, like, P-Stake plus there's yeah. the the Osmo liquid staking. Um, but I think in Solana, there's it's, like, a way more wide-open race of, like... A bunch of different staking derivatives. There's Lido. There's Marinade. There was uh, something else that I Sotion or something. It'll be interesting to see how the dynamics work when you compare like ETH, where it's very clear there's like a dominant um, derivative that might be hard to unseat in a lot of ways, versus Anchor, where it's like there could be another one, but like to be honest, there's no DeFi on Luna. Luna's really focused for the most part, like it's much more focused on like getting people to use UST. And then there's Solana where it's like the wild West where we're going to see kind of like the, the like cowboy wars of staking derivatives. If I were to (laughs) describe that that way.
1: Yeah. Maybe one thing on that, right. Is that also on Solana it's actively kind of encouraged this idea of stake pools by the Solana foundation and kind of a lot of the ecosystem members that there is some open source program essentially you can use to deploy your own liquid staking solution more or less. Of course, Lido is also open source, so you could just fork that, but there is, I guess, more of a encouragement to use liquid staking at the same time. I think just in terms of adoption of it in practice, it's very far behind from, from Ethereum, right? Like the percentage of stake that is staked through liquid staking solutions on Solana is, is well below 1% or something. I, Mm. I actually didn't look it up, but it's, compared to the 17% on Ethereum, like just Lido, right? It's it's very far from that. And it remains to be seen how that will change. I guess the DeFi ecosystem, everything on Solana is very early still. So,
0: I am really curious to hear what the difference will be too, from like Lido on an Ethereum, just the way it's built, the fact that there isn't this way to delegate. So this is the form, this is you delegating in a way. You delegate either through an exchange, you delegate through this, but... In the case of these proof-of-stake networks where there is delegation, um, I feel like that's just going to be fantastically interesting, or that's going to be very interesting to just watch happen. Do you see any clues as to what you think might happen in terms of that? Like, are people going to switch their delegations away from vanilla validators more to these staking pools? Is there a benefit for them to do that, even if they're like large holders?
2: It's going to happen. Why it's going to happen? Because it's already happening. Okay. Uh, if you only count protocol in protocol liquid staking on Terra, for example, 20% of all staking is in Beluna, Because there, there is something you can do with Beluna. You can like uh, lock it for yield and anchor and uh, then lock like AUST for yield and like the whole DeFi putting up a lot of smart contract risk for 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 a bit of yield. Uh, so Twenty percent already. Like it launched in uh, less than a year ago. Okay. Um, if we count in all forms of liquid staking, then like there are like in Polygon, Binance has thirty percent, which is a form of liquid staking, and uh, in Cosmos exchanges collectively have about I think about 20 percent something like that. It used to be twenty five. It's less now. I think so. Liquid staking is there. It's it's not a question if people will use liquid staking, it's like a question of when more likely and when is when there are options for them to use it. And that's don't defy builders mostly.
0: How much is the staked token worth versus the main sort of original token? Is there a difference between those two values or is it meant to match one to one?
2: It's how you design it basically. The users really love when it's one to one, yeah, because because sure. it's like simpler <laughs> to think. Yeah, uh, the liquid staking should be simple. That's that's how people uh, are going to use it. Otherwise, they won't. That's why people who are making like complex, non-fungible liquid staking tokens, so like two-token system, or something like that, it's something that is will not get adoption because people don't understand it mm. like at all. Technical limitations uh, force us basically to deploy right now is, uh Liquid staking token that appreciate in time with staking rewards in terms of like underlying uh, stake tokens, so like they should be growing in value a bit. Uh, but in times of like fire sales and like some price turbulence and something like that, the liquid staking token can can cost less because they're primarily liquidity for uh, the native token and still uh, on centralized exchanges with uh, native token pairs and. People who want to exit into like into USD, they have to go through the native token and sell liquid token to get native token and not wait until unstaking happens. So like there can be some kind of flash crash in terms of templates, but generally it tracks pretty close to one to one.
0: Is there not some concern then that this will just be like a centralizing force? I mean, I I think you've already mentioned the exchanges as like they're basically they are centralized and they're now acting as in a way, a staking derivative way, very easy, easy UX. That would be a, like a centralizing force. I think we've always heard that about POS systems and the fear that you know all the exchanges would basically be running the top validators, especially if they're offering staking derivatives that are competitive, then they very much could. But do you also feel from where you're sitting as Lido, like would that also potentially be a centralizing action? If more people were to use Lido staking because they get this liquid staking token out of it which is super nice and cool 1 to 1 if you can do that that's awesome so like wouldn't it just sort of take over away from the original protocol could it be that it sort of centralizes it around this pool only and i realize that Lido is built this in a decentralized manner potentially to counter this but yeah i'm just curious what you see there what would you say if like could it be a centralizing entity somehow
2: you know, of course it could. It's very hard to design a liquid staking solution that is not centralizing. Like That's basically why I'm working on LIDO. What I think is that we don't get to select uh, if liquid staking wins or not in terms of like amount of staking has. Uh What we get to select is basically the flavor of liquid staking. And I think that like LIDO in its final form is the best possible solution that can actually win. So there are like some some solutions that are like, kind of stable in uh, when they have like the majority of stake, but can't get it to this point because they are not competitive against exchanges or other liquid-staking protocols. And there are like, liquid-staking that can't get off at all. And LIDAR, I think, is like something that can actually grow into uh, being a leading force and be good in this role, like be good for the ecosystems it's, it runs in.
0: Let's talk a little bit about its decentralization or like the go- like how you're structured like maybe ha- just to understand how it's actually different from these more centralized bodies.
2: The current structure of lido is uh, there is a governance uh, on ethereum it's a token voting governance pretty standard like using Argon for functions and uh, the main voting actors are founders of the the people who were in, like in founding. A set of LIDO. Uh, the node operators, the holders to the uh, threshold key we use to launch and a few early investors and a few late investors and like stuff like this. They currently have basically full control of the protocol because it's fully upgradable. The reason it's fully upgradable is because like the Ethereum beacon chain spec and merge spec are fully upgradable <laughs> and can change at any time and there is like we we have to uh, to have a flexible protocol, but that's not the end state. One one other important thing that is right now working in or not in the way that uh, we wanted to work in final form is the not operator selection process, which is basically right now whitelisting the not operators using peer review process. Like we we've got a lot of good not operators that can uh, rate each other and rate newcomers to to get in. I I don't like either of these. Like. I don't like that uh, Lido is fully upgradable. That that is not great, and I don't like the peer review or listed process because uh, it works in a pinch, like it gets us a good not operator set, but it prevents people uh, from joining. Like it, it only allows for uh, growing valid data sets from already proven not operators, which which prevents fre- fresh blood from coming in, which is not great. So the the path for like for for being great for us is to Uh, Ossify as much protocol as we can to have it non upgradable, to have it like ossified and like basically as solid as the Ethereum specs itself, like uh, as as safe to use, and uh, to invent a new way to distribute stake that is like less whitelisty, which is not a simple thing to do.
0: Can you imagine someone just like forking Lido on Ethereum and just doing, or on any of these networks and just like? building a new brand. Would you want that? For, like they could also have a different means of onboarding new no- node operators, it would be a different set of people.
3: I think one thing to remember with both the layer 2s and with staking derivatives uh, of this form is that there's a lot of off-chain logic that you would have to replicate that is, you know, not trivial to do, right? Like yes, the the smart contracts that are public are there but each validator is like development devops setup their sort of like key management setup all of that stuff is actually effectively proprietary to an individual validator and that is the hard part to actually build in a lot of ways the kind of core contracts are much easier in the same way that for layer 2 the layer 2 smart contract that's validating the remote chain okay fine anyone can fork that but mm-hmm. And yes, anyone can run the validators, but you actually have to like get people to be able to run the Layer 2 validator correctly. In the same way, you have to get people to run all the pooled logic together. So there's a lot of off-chain logic that I would say is a bit of a moat that you shouldn't discount.
2: It's very hard to fork Lido. It's, it's not trivial, uh, for one. Like it's, uh, it, it's hard to fork even like discounting all the off-chain stuff it's pretty uh, hard to operate. That, that's one thing. The other thing is uh, Lido is not its file form. So forking Lido right now is is like mean that you you will have to maintain and develop it. And there is like not much team that can actually do this. So forking it right now is uh, like taking up a lot of responsibility, uh, which it's, it's not forking Uniswap basically. <laughs> Finally, Liquid staking is is like I said, it's it's working like in the heart of the security of the network, and there is a lot of trust in it, the trust and the brand and and stuff like that. Like you, you can fork uh, the code, you can't you can't fork the the good work basically.
0: When you, Felix, when you guys did our and I don't know if you've done or if it's still happening, sort of this like deployment on Solana, were you using anything like the same, or was it actually something that needed to be kind of created from scratch? Because it's like a different system. Did you have to rewrite everything?
1: Yeah, it's basically completely like tailored towards Solana and and how staking works there. But of course, a lot of the principles remain the same. So essentially this governance onboarding of node operators, we use a similar structure that that Lido already has on Ethereum. So we, I guess Lido DAO developed that uh, for Ethereum and, and it's kind of being... Used for the other networks too for now, mm-hmm. and then I think there is like work happening, especially on Ethereum, towards yeah changing that to a model that's maybe more uh, kind of less whitelisty, as as Vasili said, and I think that would then, or I mean that's how I imagine it, like kind of be adopted by the other protocols on other chains. Like I, I guess that's not really clear how that will look, but over time, mm-hmm. um, some something along the lines of that I would imagine.
0: Does the operator itself earn something? And if so, how?
1: On Ethereum, I guess there is the Lido fee that ten percent, five percent goes to validators, and five percent goes back to the DAO treasury. So mm-hmm. the Ethereum operators don't really earn directly something. I guess they have their LDO token, which is uh, the incentive. And uh, on Solana or on these other networks, essentially, what happened is there is uh, basically, yeah, some governance proposals that that pass that essentially give. A uh, revenue share of that fee, so like one percent goes to the just maintainers of the code, and there is like some LDO token also. Okay. The,
2: there are two people working on Lido directly, uh, and get that are get, getting paid for DAO. That's uh, Jacob, who is our biz dev and Isidoros who is our master of validators. So the at least part of the operators are getting paid directly by the DAO. So uh, I think that model will be. Uh, Adopted later for uh, all the operators, but uh, we'll have to see.
0: I have a question about L2s and staking derivatives, and I don't know if this even interacts with one another. If a lot of transactions are also going into, like, in and out of L2s, does this have any impact? Can you imagine actually staking derivatives also moving? Like, are they are they, Are we talking like you're validating your tokens, you get a staking derivative, you then take your staking derivative, you move it to an L2. You then lock it in. Like I, I'm just trying to imagine how far away you're gonna get from this original asset when with L2s on maybe Ethereum to start. And is this, does this factor into your thinking? Does it actually matter to you guys how it's used after?
2: The, the only thing that matters uh, that has to uh, happen on the L1 is basically staking related operations, uh, the staking, the uh, withdrawals, uh, maybe some compounding and stuff like that. Everything else can be can happen on layer two, and uh, it's probably where we uh, the situation we end up in, because I think that running uh, operations on layer one will be very expensive in like in the next years. So we'll have to move move voting to layer two. We'll have to move the minting, the burning, the transfers, and stuff like that to layer two, and trading will move there naturally, and including trading and derivatives. So. I'm pretty sure that like, uh, with Ethereum's layer 2 future, a lot of uh, what current, uh, LIDAR currently does in on layer 1 will move to layer 2, but it's like not really clear uh, what's the selling point right now.
0: I see. And also, I guess it's like, but going back to that idea of the liquid tokens do you worry does it matter like are would it matter to your model to map what happens to them once they go onto l2 or do you feel like that's kind of removed from the staking derivative creators responsibility
2: it, it doesn't matter for like for the security and like for the general structure but it does matter for like business development perspective uh, so it's it's a very clear challenge to have uh, liquid staking adopted on layer twos
3: Cool. Uh, I, I think one thing that might be worth mentioning is that the security model will change with layer twos in some ways, uh, in that, you know, layer two validators and operators have to oftentimes have to post a bond on layer one. And there will be a question of whether they should be allowed to borrow against that in the same way that layer one validators are borrowing against their stake. And so there's likely going to be this weird of impact of the fact that it's very likely that there will be some validator who's validating layer one and also validating layer two, and they also want to borrow from both of those, which can lead to some weird incentive issues. Uh, But I just wanted to point out that I don't think the story is uh, quite told there yet. Yeah. We need to actually have layer twos where the bonding is working in production first before I'm very... uh, before I think people care. Yeah,
2: um, all all of them that actually work have like uh, a lot of centralized crutches right now, so it's really not clear how it end- ends up.
3: Yeah, I I mean, for instance, I, I how do you view these kind of like data availability committee things, like Starkware, like evolving? Will they always be this kind of tiny threshold multisig that's like five people controlling all the data, or will it actually you know scale? Mm I don't have a good answer for that. I think like
2: the like the sampling that Ethereum working on and uh Celestia is working on is like very promising in that regard, but we'll have to see. Five five companies multi is very effective. <laughs> Hard to be that of
3: course, of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, but it is it is weird when, you know, if I look at DYDX. Yeah. Uh there's like you know, how many billions of dollars of volume a day that's going through the five-person multisig implicitly? Yeah, like it, you have to like start doing those calculations too. So. Yeah, yeah.
2: That promise that they will do no MEV, V—that's pretty fun. Yeah,
3: yeah. There's a lot. There's always this type. I'm just pointing out that you know the the story is certainly very far from done for layer twos and derivatives. Uh, but I think people just don't care enough, and frankly, we have to see some of the layer two collateral models actually, like, running in production, you know, before I'm a believer in, like, it's worth trying to figure out how to do derivatives.
0: There have been some, like, unusual or new kind of proposals, and I wonder if we could talk. I don't know if you have thoughts on this. I think I'm going to say this right. I think it was the superfluid staking. Is that what it was? The osmosis at the recent Cosmoverse. Um, Sunny kind of gave a talk about this very different idea around the staking liquid staking to the validator, the actual like original token. Yeah. Felix, I don't know, or maybe one of you, can you explain what that was and what your thoughts are on that?
1: Yeah, I can try, but I'm sure Vasily will have some better (laughs) insights afterwards. So I guess the core idea of super fluid staking, as I understand it, is instead of like first putting like staking first and then putting the liquid staking token into the AMM and having like pairs with that, you are essentially putting the stake still first as an LP. And then while you LP on Osmo, it's using IBC and interchain accounts to kind of still stake those tokens that are in the LP pool on the respective chain uh, in proof of stake. So essentially the LP can still decide who he's staking with Mm. and, um, as opposed to the liquid staking token where you're kind of at mercy of the liquid staking pool. Now, whatever is better there, I guess it works for the specific use case of liquidity provisioning and still staking. But of course, you now how do you build borrowing on top of this? And um, yeah, I guess it's, it's just a very different model. Very cool, definitely. I'm also super interested in it. And I guess also like a showcase of what is possible with IBC specifically, right? So yeah.
0: That's what I was wondering if it's like if this is so specific to IBC because of the way that those movements are going to happen.
3: I don't think that's actually true. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like in Luna, you can do the same thing. They just don't happen to do it that way because they want Anchor to be separate. Um, But any uh, consensus protocol that has an AMM as a part of its consensus rules... Can actually provide this. Like Penumbra uh, will have yeah. this in theory. Like Cello and Terra could ha- could could implement this if they wanted. But I mean, the ma- base idea is is kind of the, the the security model. Actually, like this this design is actually closer to the security model of the 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 paper I wrote, which is oh. basically that if consensus controls the AMM the biggest AMM pool, then you can stake the AMM pool to get a you know, like, let's say I'm I'm staking Osmo Atom, right? And it's a 50-50 pool. Then I can stake that liquidity in the protocol, get 50% of the block rewards plus the fees, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trading off the fact that I could sell all the Atoms and buy more Osmo and get the full block reward, or I could uh, stake the liquidity share and uh, get fees from trading Plus half of the staking reward. And the idea is by doing both of those, you ensure that the consensus protocol controls the dom is the dominant source of liquidity for that asset. Right? That's why all the Osmo is, is on their own chain right now. And that for security reasons, that's important. But one thing I do want to point out, again, sorry, not to be annoying. This is exactly what Ohm does. Um, and like (laughs) I I started trying to write out some math for a lot of like uh, okay ohm's language is like literally just a clusterfuck like it's impossible to to follow their like incantations and magical like whatever devices but if you squint enough it's like actually a much more reasonable system than I thought I mean the fact that you know if you look on ethereum and avalanche and you look at the most cloned contracts. The top three most forked contracts are Uniswap, um, V2, um, the synthetics Minter contract, which is to give LP rewards. And the third is Ohm. And there's a reason it's so Lindy. It, it's actually like a... It, it is a mechanism. It's just that like the Ohm paper itself is like written in a way that does not give you any... you know, You shouldn't feel that comfortable from the way it's written. But... Uh, osmo and ohm have a very similar superfluid staking and ohm are, are, are extremely similar that that was the, the main thing to remember is that like in DeFi and in validation you kind of see these things get built in parallel which is a a funny funny little thing i think towards felix's point about hey how do you do lending if the consensus protocol is locking up i think you effectively then have to just do like a, a staked like an STE type of model where you can borrow against the portfolio of the AMM pool plus the block rewards, but you have to have some function which lets the borrows against the LP shares be like weighted differently than the borrows against the full stake. Sorry. I'm uh, not, not, I'm not trying to advertise. Also have a paper about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. We'll try to add that to the show notes.
3: I, I feel a paper about oncoming. Yeah. There- there there there's there's definitely yeah ohm, ohm is coming soon that that's the alpha leak <laughs> I, I just like was re- way more impressed once i read their code base also like I, I think they they didn't they didn't realize that they're doing a lot of stuff people are doing in staking land like like sunny should sunny and the ohm and ohm Zeus should like talk to each other uh
2: the thing is superfluid is basically getting a liquid staking derivative then like it's 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 a parallel, like the the same product. as getting liquid staking derivative and then forcing you to lock it into to a pair or an A M M pair, in returns for some juicy uh, staking rewards like extra on this, which is reducing your optionality. You can only use the stake liquid staking derivative for one thing. You can like only put it in A M M, but in return you get impermanent loss. Uh, it's not impermanent loss. I know like everyone calls this and. Uh, a bit of staking rewards, yeah. So, so, so you get some like some portfolio risk and uh, stake, uh, some extra staking rewards. This works as long as like this is superior to just general liquid staking. As long as the risk reward, like the risk adjust reward on this uh, MM pair, is better than you can get elsewhere which is absolutely true for osmosis right now like there is no yield to get in cosmos ecosystem except osmosis so like superfluid staking is is the way to go that's the best way to get to get yield on non liquid staking and you don't mind losing the optionality because you have you have zero optionality actually you can only like not stake or stake in superfluid and the superfluid get gets you better yield uh, and that's that's your optionality as soon as you get more optionality, and or staking rewards are not that good, like for example, you, you you might want to lock this staked osmosis in whatever I don't know mass protocol with extra staking rewards on Terra, uh, extra rewards on Terra. That means that superfluid might be not the best choice you have because uh, you'll refuse one option to get the other, and the super you uh, the super superiority of this liquid staking solution is like is in question. Uh, if staking rewards on superfluid gets down it's also in question and if someone, like Tarun said uh, someone builds liquid staking on top of superfluid it's also in question because then you can get extra yield on top of that yield and like blah 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 so uh, I don't think the superfluid will be uh, like a long term thing
0: cool thank you all for coming on the show thank you Vasili, thank you Felix thanks again Tarun for co-hosting um yeah thanks for giving us this journey from sort of the highest level proof of work proof of stake validators all the way down into this the details of liquid staking and what it means.
2: Thank you. Thank you for the questions. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: And I want to say thank you to the podcast editor Henrik, the podcast producer Tanya, and to our listeners. Thanks for listening.